Mac Power Users, Episode 722, Bringing Devices Together. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett. I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hey, Stephen. Feedback time. Feedback time. It's the most wonderful time of the year, yeah. as they say. I, I really enjoy these shows. I mean, I like making Mac Power Users every week with you, but it, it's fun being able to kind of go into topics that don't deserve a whole show, but are still noteworthy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we're trying something new in this feedback episode, just touching on some updates to apps we talk about. So let us know what you think about that once we get to that section of the show. Yeah, yeah. Also, uh, right now, just a quick announcement. It's the last call for Relay FM membership sale. Um, if you go to GiveRelay.com, you get a nice discount on membership. Uh, you want to get the more power users or any of the other uh, shows that have the ad-free extended versions, you can get them there. They make great gifts. They also make great requests for gifts. So you might want to check that out. Yeah, absolutely. You can get it for yourself. You can, you can, if you do a gift, you like plug in the person's email address and the date that they'll get the, the discounted plan. So it's, it's really pretty cool. Memberful does a good job with their discounts. And uh, thank you everyone who has taken the opportunity to sign up during the last month. Uh, the sale's gone super well, and uh, we're we're so happy more people are checking this stuff out. Uh, on more power users today, I'm going to talk about email. I can the the struggle is real and it continues. I'll just leave it. Wasn't at that. that literally episode one of this podcast? Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we have an episode archive now. Let's just scroll to the bottom. No, uh, no, you don't need to do all that. All about email. <laughs> <laughs> you mean I still haven't solved it? Uh, that's too bad. What about that's okay. All right, let's talk about feedback. Uh, we talked about uh, Apple Notes on an episode. Got a lot of great feedback on Apple Notes. I think a lot of people are using it. It's it's just you know as we recorded that show, it was occurring to both of us that Apple Notes is real and it's real powerful, and a lot of people are able to use it for for most of their notes concerns. Uh, we talked on the show. You and I are, are in the neighborhood of five hundred notes each, and you know neither of us use it you know, into the thousands. Well, listener Dave does. Uh, he wrote me, he says, I have 11,000 Apple notes and I haven't noticed any drag or hang up. And wow. uh, that was impressive to me. I am um, in the days of, of your 11,000 Apple notes would make your Mac catch on fire, but oh yeah, now, now that's not true. <laughs> and uh, I think that's good on Apple. Uh, I don't think I want to get to 11,000 to test this but I'm going to take Dave at his word. I mean, how do you come up with a, I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed easily. I mean, like if you look at what I've got in obsidian, it's in the thousands, I'm sure, you know? So yeah, I guess so. if you use it often, like maybe you do project work and you create a new note for every project or, you know, who knows, but, uh, or maybe you did that Evernote thing where you just had a massive archive of Evernote stuff mm -hmm. and you just, pulled it all over. I, I talked about that in that show, how I feel like that's not the way to leave Evernote is to just, you know, bring your, um, your hoarder um, data into whatever the new platform is. And I actually got some blowback on that. I had a couple people write me and say, no, I this stuff is precious. I want to keep it all. 
Um, and after careful thought and reconsideration, I still think you shouldn't <laughs> <It> just, <laughs> I, I, I just feel like Evernote, the problem with Evernote for a lot of people was you put so much stuff in there. You didn't read anything and, yeah. um, and just, you know, there'd be dragons. If you start pulling that much data in. be careful. Speaking of Evernote, did you see this thing where they are trialing a free plan that's limited to only 50 notes? <laughs> no, I had not seen that, but I love it. I it's totally not good. Uh, yeah. Poor Dave. Dave, our friend Dave with 11,000 notes, uh, would not fare well in that. No, no, you wouldn't. Well, I mean, let me just do the math really quick. If he could make, uh, if he could make 220 separate emails, then he could mm. he could run it out of uh, multiple that's, accounts. That's the solution to get around for paying for Evernote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ever done that? Like you've got a free service and you're like, I'm not sure I like it. Or you go back and want to test it again. You got to like pull out one of your other emails to, to like oh, kick yeah. the tires again. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. That exact. Yep. I've done that exact thing before. Yeah. We got a, a lot of feedback after the Apple Notes episode about Markdown. Now, we did a big in-depth episode of Markdown back on episode 548. So if you're not super familiar with it, I'd, I'd point you there or to John Gruber's page on Daring Fireball about Markdown. But uh, Notes doesn't support it, right? And it is something that I wish it did, but it's not a showstopper for me. So Markdown lets you... Uh, basically effectively organize and format text just using plain text. So it, say in HTML, you want a bold, you have to like open tag B, close tag, and then go to the end, you know, open tag slash B, close tag. It, it makes all of that markup human readable. And so uh, a, a bulleted list is just li list with dashes next to it. Like it's very simple. I write in it for 512 pixels. Our CMS at Relay, which is called Neon, Neon takes Markdown, even in field notes, like I will write in Markdown with like the headers and stuff. Yeah. We, we're going to have, in a, in a little while, we have some some feedback from somebody who has a tool to kind of shoehorn Markdown into Apple Notes. I don't think it's something Apple would add, but I wouldn't mind it if it, if it sort of... Uh, if it sort of slipped in the back door somewhere and, and we could use it, but I, just, I don't see it happening. I think it's too nerdy to be in a mainstream app like notes. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd like to see them at it. Why not? I mean, they kind of made a step in that direction this last year with the latest update. They added a format called mono style uh, shift command M if you're using your keyboard and notes and people think it's like the, um, you know, the block that they had before, but it's not, it's actually just plain text. And uh, I talked about it on the show, but like, if you have some snippets of code or um, some HTML bits that you want to just keep in it, I use it for, uh, if I put in, if I go in notes and I put like something that I want to use in the um, terminal, I put it in that monospace font and it, I can block and paste it out. So you do get plain text that way. I guess if you wanted to, you could write Markdown in that, or you could just write Markdown in their rich text format because it doesn't auto format. I mean, I once uh, read John Gruber, who who is the architect of of Markdown, saying that he doesn't use a Markdown editor; he just writes it writes the Markdown text wherever he's at, and he's good. Mm -hmm. and And that would work too, but. Yeah, I agree. It's not really a markdown editor. And 
you know, getting kind of to the point of it, the idea of Markdown is to make timeless text, you know, text that your great, great grandchildren can read because we all know that text file, I think is going to be something that is readable generations from now. Whereas the notes format or Microsoft word format or whatever may be lost to time. And so that's the idea. And, you know, it doesn't really solve the problem to use Markdown when you're writing into a format that's not just plain text. So, yeah, I, I get that. And I think that's a good reason to not use notes if that's what you really need. Listener Mike wrote in with a question about attachments in notes. So I'm going to, I'm going to read his feedback. If uh, so he's saying, I have a question concerning attachments to notes. If I have a spreadsheet, which I want to update on all my devices, how would I go about doing that? It seems as though it does not update any changes to an attachment to a note. I tried repeatedly. It may work if I do a new note or change the attachment name, but that's a hassle. And he points out that Evernote uh, that he wants to replace does do a good job uh, at this. I have not done a spreadsheet with an Apple Notes, but I know like with PDFs, sometimes it gets weird about saving the change back to Apple Notes. Uh, what has your experience been with this? Yeah, I mean, I think what he was going at was, can he reference a file like a spreadsheet as a note? Like, can notes become, in essence, the file system? And if I've got a spreadsheet and I save it to the note, then I click it from the note and go make changes to it, will those changes be reflected on other devices? Like, if you had the note, if you had the spreadsheet in a iCloud folder, it would, because it syncs the current file status and changes across devices. Uh, notes does not do that. Notes is a static image of the file in time. When you put it in there, that's the version that's in there. If you click on it, it opens it up, in essence, as a new version. It doesn't go back and reference to the iCloud. So it doesn't it doesn't solve the problem that, that he wants. Uh, Mike is not going to be able to, to use Apple Notes as basically a proxy file system. Mm-hmm. on attachments. It just it just doesn't do that. I was kind of shocked that Evernote did it. I didn't realize they did um when I when I saw his note, but that that's cool, but uh, it's just not something Apple Notes does. Uh I think instead you look at that as a static image of it and if you want to make changes to it, then you need to resave it to the uh, note yeah. afterwards or put it into a uh, you know, I guess I'm using the air quotes here proper file system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it goes right with a question from uh, from Dave, who has kind of been weighing the pros and cons of Apple Notes versus the Files app. Uh, it seems like Dave's work is very um, uh, is very iPad iPad and iPhone centric. Uh, he wrote, uh, "Does Apple Notes or Files have a better long term storage advantage?" Would love to hear you talk about the relationship of Apple Notes to Files on iOS. I mean, I think you really hit on it a second ago that if if this is a, a file that you need to reference on repeatedly, it's going to change a bunch. Notes sometimes isn't the best choice for that. You know, for me, back in the day, this was Dropbox versus Evernote. Like if you go back on 512 Pixels and read 10 years ago, lots of ink spilled about this because I just didn't know. Like I have this PDF. Where should I put it? And I really think for me, where I came down on this is where and how do I need to access this file? Is it something that is basically static and read only? Like 
the use that we talked about on the show where we put manuals for our appliances and cars and cameras and stuff in Apple Notes. Like, I'm not going into that PDF and marking it up. I'm not, you know, it's not a document that I'm opening in a document editor. It's just there as a resource. And for me, those things will be more likely to go into Notes than the file system, whether that be Finder or iCloud Drive or Dropbox or whatever. Um, and I think there's also a question of of sharing, right? We're going to talk about that again in a second. But is this a file that is just for me? Or is this, like in the previous question, is this a spreadsheet that maybe my wife and I share and we put expenses in or something? Well, then notes doesn't make any sense. I'll put in our shared iCloud Drive folder and we can just access it that way. So I really think about what is this file? What is its purpose? How am I accessing it? And then kind of go from there. And just to slice the onion a little bit thinner, when you talk <laughs> about PDFs, um, you actually can make it a live document in a PDF because you can annotate it there and the annotations move across. Like just right. Within- as an example. Yeah, if you annotate within notes, but if you double click and open it in preview on the Mac and then make changes and hit save, sometimes it doesn't want to go back to notes. Yeah. So uh, the answer is it's complicated. Yeah, but if, it is. if you've got a spreadsheet and you want it to be uh, the sort of live document where you can actively make changes on it on multiple platforms, you're much better off um, keeping it in an iCloud or Dropbox or whatever and then putting a link to it in your Apple note. So you can jump to it if you want. Um, or just, you know, just keeping it there, keeping it in the file system and not in Apple notes. But th- that is a limitation. We probably should have talked about it more, but you know, I, it hadn't really occurred to me when we did the show that people would even think of using it as a replacement for the file system. But that's essentially what you're doing when you put a, a, a file in there, but then you go back and make changes to it later. I see the pull it because it is right it is nice to like i just have it all on this app and notes of course downloads everything in the background and for offline use on ios and ipad os there are a lot of benefits to that and frankly the files app on the iphone and ipad could use some work but it's not always the best tool for the job yeah and uh, dave it has a focus on ios ipad and iphone and we did hear from several people who are big notes users because of that like if you want a good notes app that you use on your iPad a lot, I feel like notes particularly stands out for people that spend a lot of time on the mobile platforms. Uh, Dave's question also raised another uh, issue to me. It's um, about the simplicity of export, you know, talking about, you know, if you put stuff in notes, how do you get it out? You know, what's your, what are you going to do with it? And, and I felt like, during the show, I talked about how Obsidian is is just a text files, and it's a folder full of them. You can use it anywhere. You can access them. You can search them. There's a whole bunch of stuff you can do, whereas Notes has a more complex database, and it needs that because it's got all those attachments and rich text and everything else. Um, but I just wanted to say that if I didn't say it clear enough on that show, I'm not really that worried about it. Um, if if your big hang up with notes is it's going into this database and I'm afraid I won't be able to get it later, it's not as portable as the Obsidian text files or or some of these other solutions, but it is still at the same time very accessible. Um, there are, there are notes exporters we talked about. 
um, uh, Obsidian itself, ha- they re-engineered the, the whole Notes database system so you can push one button and export everything out of Apple Notes and import it into Obsidian as, as plain text. And I just don't think Apple's going to, you know, take their eye off the ball on this anytime soon. I think you're, you're going to be just fine um, for most uses. This next one is wild. So this came from the MPU forums from listener Jake. And uh, Jake linked to pronotes.app. And this is a, it's, it's a Mac app. But it, it basically acts like a plugin for Apple Notes, which is not yeah. something <laughs> Apple Notes offers. I'm not. I tried to understand how this actually works, and it's hard to understand. I, um, what I they're get actually how doing. it works. I don't understand how it exists. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It does not support Sonoma yet, so maybe that's part of your answer. Yeah. Uh, but this does a lot of things. Um, I think the the easy. It's very much of the moment, right? So it has like you highlight text. And you hit a button and you can ask ChatGPT to do things within your notes so it can summarize and improve your writing, translate, et cetera, et cetera. You can also uh, have it bring up like a uh, like a pop clip-like bar over text to quickly change the formatting of it. And dun-dun-dun, yeah. supports Markdown. Yeah. This is wild. I I could not bring myself to try this. Well, I'm on Sonoma, so it doesn't work. But even if I could, it's not something I think I would. I, I feel weird about this. It, well, this opens up some interesting thought. Okay, first of all, look at Apple's reminders, um, calendars, email. Most of the apps, the productivity apps Apple makes these days, uses a basically an open data standard. So you can have Apple Calendar or Fantastical or BusyCal or whatever looking at the same data set. And that makes it really easy to try alternative tools. Um, They don't do that with Notes. Notes is this big bundle of wrapper of of Notes stuff, right? I just got done telling you that the gang over at at Obsidian reverse engineered it and figured out how to export everything into a plain text format. Well, if I had to bet a nickel, I'd say that the developer behind ProNotes did the same thing. He or she figured out the you know, the secret sauce of the database. And when you run the app, it's essentially unpacking the database, loading it into the pro notes app and letting you do stuff. Um, well, actually it's not in the pro notes app. It's in the Apple notes app. Yeah. You know what? You it's got just like me, this man. layer on top. It's weird. Yeah, I, I don't know how they did it. I, <laughs> I was getting ahead of myself. I, I, I honestly don't know how they did it either. Um, although I would say uh, this is really cool. First, I want to make that point. But secondly, I don't think I'd use it. I think if I wanted additional features, I would just, you know, find an app with additional features. You know, go try Obsidian or or some other Notes app. There's so many good ones right now um, yeah. that, that has the features built in. I feel like this is one Apple, you know, fly swatter away from not existing. Mm-hmm. Just my opinion. Just my opinion. It's one that we share, I think. We talked about sharing on that episode, and uh, you have a little note in here about how you're using notes for sharing now. Yeah, I mean, this show was really fun to prepare. Often we spend you know several months kind of like building up to a show like that. Uh, once we decided we wanted to do Apple Notes, both of us started using it more deeply. Um, what's what does Federico say? Deep and what's his thing? A deep and open framework was his joke. Yeah, yeah, deep and open, just diving in. You know. Yeah, we went all in. 
And I came out of that journey thinking, man, Apple Notes has has come a long way. And I just was looking at all the feedback and thinking, I have not opened Google Docs since we kind of started that. And several things I'm doing these days where I'm collaborating with people, I just send them an Apple Notes link. I don't even like preface it anymore and say, well, I'm using Apple Notes. Is that okay? I I just send them an Apple Notes link. Ironically, when I was doing the uh, Obsidian Field Guide Plus sessions, I had some guests come in. And I would send them an Apple Notes link for the notes for the the call and the call details and the outlines and stuff. I didn't use Obsidian for it because it's not collaborative. And um, so, uh, you know, I just feel like Apple Notes really has taken a firm root in my in my stack at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know people doing podcast planning and stuff in it. You know, they just have a note for each episode and they go to town. It, the sharing really is good. I and mean, we talked about it on the episode I think there's a bunch of ways you could measure notes uh, evolution over the years. And we did some of that in that episode, right? Talked about the old version. It was like marker felt and synced over IMAP madness. Uh, yeah. But the sharing overall has gotten really good. And you can see the history and invite multiple people in multiple ways. Apple's really clearly heads down on that. And I think that's good because I think they want that to be the case. I think they want you to to be in a space where you just say, yeah, here's an Apple note link and people don't think twice about it. And they, uh, they just, you know, they just do the work. I also got a funny email from, uh, from John who said that he thinks we should have talked about the fact that notes is the vehicle for social media apologies. It's true. <laughs> I looked into it. He's like, hey, right. Like when you're really, when you do something, when you really mess up, right. And the world is coming for you on social media, you apparently write an Apple note apologizing and screenshot it and post it to yep. your favorite social media platform. I, I didn't even realize that was a thing, but apparently it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Every, you know, celebrities, athlete, you know, professional athletes, they do something stupid. And, and you know, sure enough on Twitter. Uh, and you get to see who uses dark mode or not, which is fun. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to do that next time I'm like late on the ad reads. I'm going to just make an Apple <laughs> note and send you a screenshot. <laughs> This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepassword.com slash MPU right now and get 20% off your account. 1Password is the security suite that we all need when we're dealing with the internet. With 1Password, you can instantly generate strong and secure passwords that are securely kept in the 1Password vault. Moreover, you can protect your banking information, credit cards, software licenses, and plenty more all in the app. But not only does it allow you to create and protect passwords and sensitive information, it also allows you to securely share it. With 1Password, you can set up a shared password vault for easy family or team access or share any 1Password item from your desktop, app, or browser with anyone securely. 1Password also looks to protect you and mitigate your risks by looking at the companies you're dealing with on the internet and monitoring their own security and if they have Uh, Password breaches, 1Password lets you know. And if you're a company, it works with your existing security stack, so it fits right in. I've been using 1Password for years, and I'm a very happy customer. It continues to protect me and my family on the ever-increasing dangerous environment of the internet. Not only do I like the way it protects me, I like the way it's built these security habits for my kids over the years as they've also been using it. They've got plans for you individually, on your family, and for your company. You can go check it out today at onepassword.com slash MPU. If you go there, you get 20% off your plan. 
that URL one last time, onepassword.com slash MPU. So use the security app that both Stephen and I rely on, onepassword.com slash MPU. Check it out, and thanks, 1Password, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. We also have some listener feedback uh, on a bunch of other topics beyond Apple Notes. Uh, and the first was about journaling specifically, but I, I wanted to mention it here because Apple's journal app is in beta and assumedly coming out, I think, probably before the, uh, you know, before the holidays. But Mitch wrote in uh, with a question for you. Uh, Mitch said, David, you said to use both the Daily Note and Obsidian and journaling in day one. How do you decide what goes where? Yeah, this is a complicated tale of indecision. Uh, I'm not proud of this. Let's just say that. So I, uh, when I was working on Obsidian Field Guide, and even before that, I spent about six months using Obsidian as my primary journaling vehicle. And uh, actually, let me start at the beginning. Uh, so for over 10 years, I've been journaling in day one. But I got, you know, I was, you know, I was, I was consuming my own product on Obsidian as I was kind of getting into that. And I decided, well, I'm going to do it all there. And so I did there for like six months. Ultimately it didn't stick because it's not a, you can journal in it, but it's not day one. And I think I said as much on the show, like adding photos and this, all the stuff I like it's end to end encrypted and it's good enough for journaling, but it's not really day one caliber. So I, I stopped doing that. So, but I do still use the daily note in obsidian to the extent I track um, work and kind of work-related projects in a in a daily journal, like to keep track of when I worked on this or that. This was even more useful as a lawyer when I was, you know, working every day on different client matters. I would, you know, I'd have a project for each client as an Obsidian document, and I would log that on the daily log page as I worked on it. So then I could always go back and say, you go to the project page and I would use backlinks to say, well, what days did I work on this? And it's very easily trackable. And Mm -hmm. that's something Obsidian does, I think, better than day one um, for for that kind of work, especially if you're already using the Obsidian stuff to conduct work with. So the short answer to Mitch's question is uh, Obsidian journaling and and daily log page is great for work-related tracking. And day one is great for journaling. But since he's opened this can of worms, let me just go a little bit further so I can <laughs> share share this with you. Uh, good notes um, is a really good way to journal too. I did a, a video on this in the Max Barkey Labs. I mean, if you want to write handwrite your journal, I think sometimes that makes a lot of sense. It slows you down, kind of forces you to think about what you're saying. Uh, good notes is really good, uh, and I think that that's a good way to do it. And you can save that to day one. You can export it directly into day one. I've done that many times, and I keep flirting with paper journals. I can't. There's something about it. Um, I think that the intentionality of you know setting down the computer and working with pen and paper, or in my case, largely pencil and paper, that's a good way to journal too. And, and I've played with that off and on over the years and done longer and shorter experiments on it, but I feel pretty settled at this point. I journal in day one, you know, full stop there. Um, I, a lot of them are dictation entries cause dictation's so good, but I also sometimes will write out my daily journal or notes in a good notes, um, format, you know, digital paper journal in this sense. And sometimes I'll even stop and write on paper, like I was reflecting, uh, we're coming up here on two years since I quit being a lawyer. And I just wanted to think about what that means for me and how that's going. 
And my wife said, hey, I want to go shopping. I'm like, oh, okay. So I brought a little paper notebook with me. I sat, got some some tea at the shopping mall, sat there, and I wrote for two hours about that with a pen and paper. But then I, I used the trick in, um, in day one where you can scan it to PDF and save it to your journal. So everything ends up in day one for me. And uh, mm-hmm. I just do what I want to, but day one is the common denominator. Yeah, I was I was actually thinking along those lines but with apple notes just last night i was in a a pretty long meeting and there was a docket right that had been printed out by somebody and i had had my uh, ipad with me and i was taking some notes in notes on the ipad yeah but there was some things we were talking about that were just better sketched out right we're just kind of talking about how this would this thing would work yeah and so i just flipped the printed docket over and just, you know, I had a pen with me and just kind of sketched out on that. And then when I was done, I picked up my phone and scanned that page and added it to the Apple note for the meeting, right? So it's all in there together. And I mean, day one supports it, note supports it, lots of other apps do that sort of thing where you can have that mixed media where you can have your text plus images or scanned PDFs or whatever. And I'm all about using whatever's convenient or what I have on me in a given moment to, to capture something. I, I actually really like handwriting on an iPad I, and I don't have a fancy screen protector on it, you know, like a paper like or anything, but I, and GoodNotes does a good job of it. I enjoy that because they've got the ability to make it so you can write much larger and then it goes down small and then you save it in. You know, I, I, um, I don't think we need to, to pick one. I guess that's my, my answer. Don't, you don't have to just do everything on paper or everything in a single app. Um, and, and I guess another piece of this, I listen, I could talk about journaling for a whole episode, but one of the <laughs> key things about journaling to me is you have to know what your motivation or your purpose is of journaling. Like if you're trying to make a journal to, um, to impress your grandchildren about how clever you were, that is one thing. You know, it's kind of like, um, you know, the antiquated version of Facebook posts, you know, um, the, um, <laughs> but if you're trying to make a journal to make yourself better, it requires honesty and it doesn't really matter what format you're using it. Cause it doesn't, it just doesn't matter. I mean, you could, you could journal on a yellow pad and then throw it down to shredder because the benefit you got was in the process of writing the journal more than anything else. So um, I wouldn't get too hung up on it if your motivation is to make yourself better because it's actually the process of journaling where you get the mission accomplished badge. We are going to hold our thoughts on Apple's journal app. It's not out yet. I mean, I feel like there's been a lot of kind of negative coverage of it yet. It, it's certainly not, unless they do a lot between now and the time it releases, it's not super deep, but I, I'm going to wait until they release it, but we'll we'll cover it when it comes out. Yeah, yeah. There was a new version of iOS 17.2 out just like last week. I mean, they are still working on it. It's still very much in beta. Okay. Gift guide feedback. Yeah. I love it when people write me on things they want me to spend money on because we do that to you all the time. So it's all the time. Yeah. It's, it's, was it turnabout is fair play? Something like that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Michael wrote in with a link to what may be the most attractive stainless steel mug I've ever seen. Yeah. Can I, can I say that? Is that weird to say about a mug? No, it, it is one handsome mug. Love it. And it's in, you can get it in bright orange. I did not buy it because uh, 
maybe your household is like this, David. Water bottles just show up in my house, right? Yeah, I, know. I don't even know where they come from. Sometimes they come from events or fundraisers. Sometimes one of us just buys one. We recently had the purge, right? You get yeah. them all out. You put them on the counter. Everyone comes in and says, pick your two favorites. And the rest, we're going to give away. So we just did that. And so I can't... I can't bring a new mug into the house right now or a new water bottle or anything. We'd, uh, it'd be bad news. But if you want a vivid orange stainless mug, Michael found the one. He found mm-hmm. the one. Yeah. Did you um, catch the way I, I got that mug when we did the talk at, at WWC at the Apple location? Did you just like stick in your bag and we were done? Well, no, we were getting to it. Cause, so uh, go with me here, gang. Um, you, you go to Apple they say, hey, we're going to let you use our podcast studio, which is a custom-built room for podcasting that they spent more money on than I spent on indoor studios, and it's going to be up for a week, and then they're going to tear it all down. Um, but when you walk in, they've got Swell mugs. You know, Swell is a good brand, very yeah. insulated mugs, full of water next to each desk, right? And mm-hmm. and I didn't touch it, but then we're getting towards the end of recording. I'm like, I'm bringing that home. I, I want that would be perfect in my wood shop, my my Apple mug I got at, at Cupertino. So literally, as we're finishing up, I unscrew the top and I take a drink out of it and I set it down and I just look at them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, then I put the lid back on. I put it in my bag because now now that's been touched by a human. I can't yeah. spread my sparky germs. But what if Jason yeah. Snell had walked in after me and caught yeah. some disease from me? I mean. <laughs> You know, we can't have that. So so that's how I got the mug. And I I, I cherish that's it. That's what they were there for. They were yeah. there to give them away, I think. Okay. I well, came home with two somehow. Oh, you did? Oh, now I feel bad. I, I only got one. Yeah. I recorded two things there. So I think uh, that's how I know they were for us. Because when I came back to do something else, there were like new, you know, new mugs, new water in them. So I've got two of them. They're really nice. Yeah. They both survived the purge. They're still here. Good, good. Uh, you bought something, so I, got I did. You to spend I did. So in the in the gift episode, you talked about the uh, red whips again. Yeah. Just hit the link in the show notes. Don't Google it. Two things. One, they're sold out on Amazon. MPU so, effect. MPU effect, right there. So I think we take credit for that one hundred percent. But I I did buy a pack while we were recording. Uh, you know, I've got the sit-stand desk, and we've talked about this before. When you have a sit-stand desk, your cable management is really complicated because you need enough slack and everything that when the desk moves or when it's like in the standing position, things don't get yanked off the desk, yeah. right? But you still also want to keep it neat and tidy because you're not an animal. You know, you're a power user. You need it nice and tidy. Yeah. So I've been using Velcro ties for sort of the snake of cables that go from the floor up the desk leg up to the the top of the desk. There's only a few things there. But I got some of these. I switched over to them. And they are great. You are 100% right about how cool these things are because you can you can use the little slide lock and get them as tight as you want. You can like wrap them back around themselves if you want to. Fantastic. Yeah. And they have different sizes. Did you note that? Mm-hmm. Like, So if you've got big legs at the bottom of your stand desk, you can get the long ones. Yeah. Um, and then you can wrap it around. Like yeah. That. So I used all the medium ones. The The thing that we linked to is like two longs and, and 10 mediums. Um, yeah. So did all of that. But while I'm under my desk doing this, I realized something and I wasn't going to tell anybody, but you know, this is a feedback show and you know, 
when I moved from the Mac Studio to the MacBook Pro, obviously my, my setup totally changed, right? I have the CalDigit dock, lots of stuff. Turns out, David, nothing important was actually plugged into my battery backup. <laughs> what, what happened, Steven? Because the all the connections, like the nexus of my whole desk setup is the CalDigit. The thing is full. I have like one open port on it and it powers my laptop. That was just plugged into a power strip, just plugged into the wall or, or plugged into one of the non-battery uh, plugs on the battery backup. Right, like Most battery backups, you have some that are battery protected, others that are surge protected. So it was surge protected, but not battery protected. And I've noticed a couple of times since we're the laptop, I'd come out here and be like, huh, it looks like this thing lost power. That's kind of weird. Like a disc would be ejected or something weird would be going on. So getting the red ties had, uh, you know, it it prompted me to see this issue. And I spent maybe an hour on the day after Thanksgiving going through and making sure, okay, the cow digits on the battery backup, you know, everything is kind of correct now. So that's all, that's all fixed up. But um, I had that moment. I was like, oh, look at that. I didn't do this right. <laughs> so yeah. you know, take some time on your Christmas vacation and make sure your stuff's plugged in correctly. Yeah. I mean, that surprised me because you are so anal about your cabling. I'm just shocked that that happened. I know. Uh, I, I wanted to, uh, you know, I thought about not telling anybody. It's like, you know what? I need to be forthright about this. So here I am in my shame. Talk about age old MPU discussions. So it took years for Katie to convince me to buy a battery backup, mm -hmm. but my battery backup eventually died or whatever. I guess they don't last forever. But after right. about 10 years, it just kind of stopped working. But at the time, I had my MacBook Pro. And I said, well, do I really need a battery backup here? I mean, if the battery, if the power goes out, the battery will kick in in my MacBook Pro. I'll be fine. And I have a good exactly. surge suppressor. I, I'm, not, I'm not an animal. Um, but, the, uh, but it occurs to me, I, I never thought about it again since getting rid of the MacBook Pro and putting mm. uh, yeah. a Mac Studio here. I guess, do I need a battery backup? I think you probably should. Yeah. What's your recommendation? Oh gosh. I have, let me see what I have. I can't see the front of it. Uh, I mean, they're all basically the same. Yeah. <laughs> Just, you know, yeah. spend some time on Amazon, I guess. Yeah. That's what I'll do. I think mine may be an APC something or other, but there's a lot of brands out there. Yeah. I just realized I, I just don't have one anymore. Um, we talked on the show about flashlights and I said, don't, you know, email me about flashlights. I know that's like the whole <laughs> thing. Right. And, but then after the show, I started feeling like I've got these like $10 LED flashlights that are okay. But what if I wanted to really up it? You know, when I say up it, I don't mean like a $200 flashlight. I mean like maybe a $50 flashlight. And I couldn't figure out where even to start looking for that. I was actually going to write you about it. And then just a few days ago, Quinn Nelson dropped a new video at Snazia Labs with his, you know, holiday gift guide as, as you do this time of year. And he really recommended the Rovivan Aurora A8 flashlight. So I have ordered it, but it has not shipped yet. And I wanted to get the Stephen Hackett seal of approval or thumbs down on it. I saw this video and I, I actually did click through to this flashlight. It looks awesome. Um, I love that it has the side lights. So you can, uh, you got to have some different, uh, different capabilities in like a yeah. regular it's got like flashlight. ultraviolet and red light as well. 
Yeah, or amber. Like maybe you know you don't want to make mess up your night vision, so you want warmer light up the side. Yeah. It looks pretty cool. Thirty-seven bucks, right? Right in my like sweet spot. And uh, yeah, magnetic base is also really cool. That's pretty sweet. All right. So I will get that. Good job. I heard from a, a lot of other people with uh, fun gift ideas, and it is funny how you know we do those shows, and I I feel like we're giving people ideas. Um, to ask gifts for more than we're giving them to buy them for the like significant others. I mean, I am like pretty sure Michael is not buying the vivid orange mug for his significant other. Right. I mean, I'm not here to judge, but yeah, probably not. But I will say that my wife is getting nothing but red whip cables this year. I feel like (laughs) that. (laughs) That's what she really needs in her life. It's going to clip that and send it to her. Okay. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about name drop. Um, I don't think this has come up on the forums, but I got some email directly about it. And this is one of those things, you know, sometimes your non-technical relatives will text you about, hey, I saw this in the news about Apple. It's like, yeah. what do you want me to do about this, right? Like, yeah, no. I think some of my family members think I work for Apple or my some job is like- I think I'm the actual CEO of Apple. It's like, yeah, it's my I mean, fault if something doesn't work. Right. Or it's your job to defend them, which is not our job to defend them. Anyways, it kind of reached a fever pitch in my life. There's like this story going around, including from like police departments, that you should turn off name drop. So this is a new feature in iOS 17, where if you and I meet in a coffee shop for a meeting, and we're going to share each other's contact information. We touch the ends of our phones and go, and we can share our contact information, right? It's very Star Trek, star, you know, like futuristic kind of of thing. Uh, It's pretty cool. But the story going around is saying, hey, don't turn this on because you could, you know, you could have your contact information stolen, right? Someone comes up to you in a store and taps your phone and suddenly they have your phone number and email address, right? Like you're in a nightclub and everybody walks home with your cell phone number. Right. No one wants that. I agree. But what those stories uh, don't include, and this is what I told my relative, is that you can totally turn it off. And I told them how. So you go into settings, go into airdrop, and the feature is called bringing devices together, which like, can I just say, what a stupid name for a feature. Bringing devices together. What does that even mean? Like, anyways. Yeah. (sighs) Sometimes Apple gets in their own way. But... Uh, you can go in there and turn it off. And if it makes you uncomfortable to have it on, or if you're like so many other people I've talked to concerning name drop, if you carry a work phone and a personal phone, say you keep carry them together, like on your, like in a holster or in your bag, they're just name dropping. They're trying to start a name drop thing all the time. Even if they're signed into the same Apple ID, like this feature is not smart enough to know, oh, this person owns both these phones. They probably know their own contact information, right? If you're in that situation, turn it off. But the truth is, if you're in the hardware store and someone runs up to you and taps their end of their phone, A, it takes a second, right? You have to like hold your phone there and it takes a few seconds and you get this cool animation that someone worked really hard on that I love. Yeah. But contact information is not shared automatically. What happens is you get a panel that comes up and it pro- and it requires you to accept the transfer. So not only is it not automatic, you have to manually approve it. And while an accidental exchange could occur, 
your phone would have to be unlocked and the person would have to accept the sharing prompt to get your contact information. And let me tell you, if someone has your phone and it's unlocked, name drop is the least of your concerns at that moment, right? Yeah. They got your yeah. phone. And so you don't have to be afraid that someone's going to like take your information or you're going to send it accidentally, right? It requires authentication. But if it does make you uncomfortable, you can turn it off. But this isn't like the the uh, sort of like the the hurricane of fear that it's kind of built up to be. And yeah, when my relative reached out to me, I was like, okay, we got to talk about this somewhere because it, it means it's kind of reached the, you know, yeah. the everyday. At some point, it, it breaks into the mainstream and takes yeah. on a life of its own. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the question I have, cause that there is a problem if you've got like a work and a personal phone and it constantly touching each other. And my question is, how did this get through? Like you would think with the amount of work Apple does on these features, that certainly they would have been aware that, I mean, this isn't really, I feel like a, a, um, a deal killer bug. Like you should not ship this if it's doing that, right? Yeah. It should, it should be smart enough not to try and name drop its own, you know, brother phone or sister phone, whatever you call it. Right. And mm-hmm. I'm sure there's people at Apple that carry two phones and, Oh yeah. And this beta was out there for a long time. I, I think part of yeah, I just it's just surprising to me that this didn't surface earlier in the process and cause them to either fix it or delay it. Yeah, or just have a check in there, you know? Oh, this is the same Apple ID or this person has the same name. Like just some sort of or if you can't do that, have a thing that when this happens, there's a little thing on the screen that says ignore this phone in the future. Right? That's all it would take. Well, I mean, I just feel like if I was at Apple, I would want to kind of post-game this and find out how that didn't get caught. Because Me too. I'm sure it'll get fixed, and this won't be here there forever, or maybe it will, but hopefully not. But the um, but I, I'd love to know how that shipped. Yeah. Because it seems to me like this is not a unique bug, right? I mean, lots of people have jobs where they carry separate phones. And um, I don't know, I'm just kind of surprised that shipped. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Masterclass. When you learn something new, it feels good. Whether it's something about managing your time more effectively or taking big swings in business to smaller things that you can use every day, Masterclass makes a meaningful gift this season for you and anyone on your list because both of you can learn from the best to become your best from leadership to effective communication, to cooking. So whether you're watching Masterclass on your TV, listening in audio mode, in the app, or on their website, the quality speaks for itself. The Masterclass instructors are there to help you reach your next level. And it's a lot more cost-effective than paying for one-on-one classes from the world's best. With a Masterclass annual membership, you're paying only $10 a month. That means membership starts at $120 a year, for unlimited access to one-on-one classes with all 180-plus Masterclass instructors. So you can learn how to negotiate a raise, manage your relationships, and everything in between. There are over 180 classes to choose from with new classes added every month. The examples I listed a second ago are from a class by Bob Iger. You know, the guy running Disney. It's a really useful 
course, talking about business, anticipating what consumers want, and of course, littered with real-life examples that we are all aware of because we all follow this guy's company. You too can boost your confidence and find practical takeaways you can apply to your life and at work. And if you're a business or a team leader, why not use Masterclass to empower and create future-ready employees and leaders? This holiday season, give one annual membership and get one for free at masterclass.com slash MacPower. Right now, you can get two memberships for the price of one at masterclass.com. That's M-A-S-T-E-R, class, C-L-A-S-S, dot com slash MacPower. The link is in the show notes. Offer terms apply. Our thanks to Masterclass for their support of the show and Relay FM. So, Stephen, uh, last time we did one of these feedback shows, you gave me a little present and uh, <laughs> agreed to uh, leave the land of Google uh, for uh, for my sake, maybe, or maybe because you just wanted to play with it. I'm not sure. Uh, we have moved Mac Power users into Notion. And uh, as of this episode, this is the second episode we've recorded using Notion as the primary driver. We use Google Docs. Well, I mean, I think Katie and I, well, we, I guess to go way back, we used Omni Outliner at the beginning, and then we moved to Google Docs pretty soon Wait. after Google Docs became a Hang thing. On. What? How did you share? Did you just have it like in a Dropbox? Well, we did all the work beforehand, and we had a, um, I called it the sock on the doorknob theory, where we, we put a, a little flag on the file. If it was green, then you could open it. If it was red, you could not. And um, Wow. And, but you know, this was before Google Docs and Mac power users has been around a while, you know, and, uh, oh, I know. I know. so, so it, it seemed to work at the time and, and, uh, it was not nearly as good as Google Docs, which was fully interactive and, um, and now as notion is. And so we, just for people listening, we have a thorough outline for every show we make and we, we don't follow it as a script so much as guideposts when Sparky goes off the rails to pull him back. <laughs> but we moved Notion into it, and Notion has been great. We did the show with Kurosh, and so we had a third-party guest in, and he was able to work with it just fine. We're doing the show right now. Uh, it's interesting because in Google Docs, uh, when Stephen moves around, uh, Stephen Gang has a, a habit of moving his mouse and cursor around the document while he's thinking uh, in terms of mm. topics. <laughs> and, and you see it highlight. Like, it's very <laughs> clever. But in the new version with Notion, it's his face. So I can see what line he's on with his little face. And I think that is, it's adorable. It's just adorable. <laughs> but either way, so I, I, I see this is the digression thing. I So we, we switched over to Notion and uh, we have been running it. And I think, can I say that we're just a Notion-based podcast at this point? I think I can. I, yeah, I think it's been really successful. I mean, you, you can talk about some of the challenges we've had, but something that I do all the time uh, on this show, on my other shows, is I will be doing something else and something comes to mind about, oh, we should talk about this. It's like when the name drop thing happened, right? Yeah. <laughs> like Thanksgiving dinner. Hold my phone out. It's like this. I want to put this on the feedback episode of MPU. And I just opened the Notion app, tapped MPU feedback. It all loaded instantly. And I can put it in. And Google Docs on iOS and iPadOS is super slow for that really fast interaction. You got to like wait for it to sync. And maybe you open the document and the changes aren't there yet. So you go back out and go back in. And that little thing uh, just made me so happy. And there's still some work to do. 
But overall, I feel like, yeah, I feel like this is working. I feel like we're collaborating the way we want to. We have guests come in. Jim, our editor, has access to it. Carrie, uh, the chief advertising officer at Relay FM, she's got access to what she needs access to. I feel like it's going pretty well. Yeah. So um, the structure of it, what we've done is uh, we've set up several databases, one for episodes, one for sponsor reads, and then um, we also have databases for more power users topics and uh, running feedback, show assets. Um, we've got all the you know things we need to run the show all in one location. We've never had that before. We had a variety of Google documents and spreadsheets, and we had stuff that was like pages documents, and we had it kind of spread out. And one of the nice things about this is we're able to combine everything we need to run Mac power users into one space in mm -hmm. notion, which uh, is pretty good. I, I really have become quite adept at notion in the last six months because we decided to move the Mac Sparky stuff over there and Mac Sparky is, is complicated. You know, there's a newsletter production line, blog posts, lab stuff, field guides. So there's these different kind of business lines. I mean, I use that very, um, air quote, you know, business lines. It's a little one man <laughs> right. business, but, it, it, but we've got different workflows for different things. And I wanted to collaborate largely with JF Brissett, who helps me do so much stuff. Uh, so we, we put it together and we've, we've kind of got it refined over the time, but Mac power users presented different problems. Um, one of the things we wanted to do was uh, we have a Google spreadsheet of all our shows. You know, like, you know, we say we're going to do a feedback show in eight weeks and we put it on the calendar and there it is. Or we have a, a, a guest that we book. A lot of times we book our guests months in advance. So we've got a day reserved for that guest. And like we do that. But then we've also got advertisements, right? You know, we, we read ads. That's how we keep the lights on here. And sometimes a guest will say, well, you know, I know I was going to do it on this day, but uh, I have a thing and I can't do it. And I'd like to do it two weeks later. So we move the, the show and we have all the notes by then we've done research. We have notes on the guest. We have all the stuff put together, but the, if you put the ads in there and you move it two weeks and that screws it up because the ads are set on a set schedule and the people pay us say, we want you to, you know, talk about, you know, um, whatever product we've got on this day. And so mm -hmm. the fact that the guest moves doesn't mean the ad moves. So we, um, we spent some time working on that and we have a database of all our shows and we have a separate database of ads, but with, with a uh, notion, you can relate them to each other. And we kind of got that nailed down. And the other thing we were able to do is because it's got the Kanban views built into the database view. Um, we are able to multi-purpose our show planning. Like it used to be, we had one document that had ideas for shows and another document that showed uh, a database of planned shows. But now we put all that into one and just based on, the status tag, if we say this is an idea, it shows up in one place. And if it's a, a show in progress, it shows up in a different place. And everything is connected. We never have to retype data. Everything is in one place. Uh, just like you at your Thanksgiving dinner this morning, I was thinking, oh, we should get that guy back on. We haven't had him on in a while. And I just added it to the main database. I don't know if you saw him go in there, but I put him in today. And um and it's under the idea list and we're going to, I'm going to reach out to him and start working on that. And, and I just feel like everything is a little smoother. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think it is. And 
I think it does solve that the big problem we had was ads versus content. Like we kind of have these two things on different trajectories that have to meet in the middle. Yeah. And that's been nice. Um, the other thing that I've really enjoyed is the ability to have different templates for different show types. And the way we did this in Google Docs was we had like template for topic, template for guest. And we would yeah. copy, we duplicate that Google Doc and then go into the duplicate, rename it. But like one time yeah, that- out of six, I would forget to duplicate it. <laughs> and you're like halfway through editing. I was like, oh no, I overrode the t-. You got to like go all the way back. And not, not having- to mention... I mean, the the duplicate a template and use it again was cutting edge technology in 1984, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I did this on floppies on my original Mac, and I feel like there's got to be a better way, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's it's this templating system. So when we have a topic, we can select what kind of show it is. And those templates are editable for any point in the future. And so I've I spent some time last week going through them and color coding different things and making sure like the formatting was the same on all of them. And it's just it's just one little thing that we had to do once a week. That now just a single click as opposed to a copy and paste. And 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 by the way, if you're out there and you work on Google Drive or Docs or Sheets, can you just tell me? Why does it take so long to duplicate a file in Google's cloud system? You right-click, you say duplicate this file. It takes four seconds. Like, you're Google. It's an empty Google Doc. What's happening? I just don't understand. Why does it take so long? But Notion is just a single click, and it all is there. All the metadata is there. It's, it's It's pretty awesome. I mean, looking back, the way this went down was Google was the first company to make a collaborative document environment that actually worked. I remember like maybe when it, right after it started, we were in the middle of a trial and we had to get a whole, a judge gave us this like kind of like busy work project the night before closing statements. We had to redo all the jury instructions. So I had two secretaries and me all working in the same Google doc at once. And it was like magic. You could, you know, everybody was typing at once and we got this document put together in a third of the time. And that was great. But now a lot of platforms have that same capability. And the reason we went to Google was because they were the only game in town. We did try other options. None of them ever stuck. Uh, But you know, this is just one more feature in notion. And honestly, it's one more feature in a lot of apps now where you yeah, can have even Apple notes, notes right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Well, do you want to switch Apple notes, Steven? No, no I'm just kidding. Uh, the, uh, so it, you know, real time collaborative typing is mm-hmm. now, it, it's not, it's not the Google's Google doesn't own that anymore. There's a lot of ways yeah. you can do it. So, so that made it easier to look at tools like this, which are frankly better suited for, for doing the administration back end of, of a podcast or a production schedule or a, publishing schedule or anything like that. I mean, there's a reason why all these nerds have stuff based in notion. Like I said, so I have Mac Sparky was about six months ahead of Mac power users. Then through a little bit of persuasion, I also got the focused and automators podcast into it too. So now I just got one app I can go to and, uh, and get all this yeah. stuff. And, and we're using a lot of the same like ideas and technologies across the board. And so my life is much simpler. All that said, and I've heard from you, you listeners, because we talked about this, like, oh, now you can just move, you know, out of OmniFocus and into into Notion, and you can do your notes there too. And 
I don't think Notion is good at that stuff. And I know that there's like a lot of YouTubers making a lot of videos about how you can run your entire life out of Notion. I've played with the tools and all of it feels fiddly to me. And I think this is an excellent collaborative environment, shared database environment, sign me up. But as something for my own personal stuff that doesn't need to get synced with another human, I just don't see the case for it. I feel like it's too fiddly and, um, and it's not as powerful as like a native Mac app. Yeah. That that's my biggest downside is like it, it it's, it's a web app and a wrapper and that's kind of lame, but, uh, but I agree. Like, I think what we're using it for are its strengths. Right. Um, and, and I should say, I should have said at the top notion is a sponsor of some relay FM shows. This decision was made independently of that, uh, that yeah. out of the way. Yeah. I think what we're using it for is what it's best at is like these databases that can relate and tie to each other. Right that we have this, these topics and these episodes and these ads and they all have different metadata and tracking, right? Like with ads, when do you know, like if, you know, if it's uh, who it's sold by, what episode is going to go into the, sometimes the order is actually really important to sponsors as well. We've got to keep up with all that, all these things. And notion lets us build these databases and then these documents that like pull from data from different sources. It's excellent at that. If we wanted just a text editor, there's a thousand others out there that are focused text editors that are better for it. Uh, you know, thinking about the other things that I work on, I'm not really looking at bringing anything else into Notion at this point. Yeah. Notion is the MPU tool, and maybe something will come up in the future. But for now, it's like the perfect tool for what we need, or it seems like it is so far. And that's good enough for me I, i'm always really hesitant because I, I have the scars um to prove it that it's not always a great idea um i'm always hesitant when i have the thought of i can move everything into this yeah right yeah. and the truth is that there are some apps that are better at that than others and for me at this point i want to use different tools with what they're good with what they're good at. And so for me, notes, Apple notes is still the best note taker because of the way I handle my notes and the collaboration I want to do there. It's a different problem set for me than how we build Mac power users every week. Yeah. Well, I I'm deeper down the, uh, notion rabbit hole than you, but, uh, oh, yeah. as an example, uh, I have tasks related to this episode and, like I can tell you right now, I still have not uploaded my ads or the audio from my recording, which makes sense. But everything else related to this episode, I've done already. And I know that mm -hmm. because OmniFocus tells me that. And it's not here. I could put it into the template, but then you don't need to see me checking off my personal tasks. And right. because I've got OmniFocus telling me my personal tasks on a daily basis, I don't need to worry about missing it because it's over in Notion. So you, you just got to find your way with it. But I am, I did not expect it, you know, in January of 2023, that by the end of the year, I would be so invested in notion for basically all of my collaborative work. And yeah, uh, I'm delighted. It's, it, it's, it exceeds expectations for me. I think the, mm -hmm. even though it's not a dedicated notes editor, it, the notes things we do here with the collaboration, it works great. I was very encouraged when we had, Kurash on and the show went flawlessly. There wasn't any problem with that. And uh, I think this is going to be the way we run the show for a long time going forward. I think so too. 
Uh, I, I really do. And I knew that you've been doing Max Sparky stuff in it. And I just, I kind of had a growing dissatisfaction with docs and sheets for what MPU uses. Now, my two other shows, Connected and Ingenious, they're much simpler, right? We use the same Google Doc over and over until it breaks every three years and we start a new one. The ads, we just leave and and are handled differently than the way they are here because those shows don't have the complexity we have of sometimes the topics move around and I don't have that in my other shows, right? Like on Genius, I pick a topic and write about it. Connected, we're just talking about what's going on that week in the world of Apple. And so I don't have the complexity on those other shows as I do here, but I just kind of I continue to feel this friction with the old system. And uh, and I knew that it was working for you in other ways. So uh, there was also something nice about it. It's not quite your contextual computing idea, but it's not far, it's like a, it's like a neighbor idea Yeah. that for me, when it's time to work on MPU, I open Notion. And if Notion is open, I'm working on MPU, right? There's something to that that I have found, you know, in the last month or so to be very compelling and very interesting. Whereas before and with my other shows, it's just a group of Safari tabs and that's fine. And like that has its place. But now like MPU work equals Notion is something in my brain that is like really triggered something that, when it's time to sit down and work on a show or do some organization, like I know where it all is. It's all in one place. And I think that's, uh, I think that's a real benefit for how, at least how we work. And then just one final note to kind of go back where you began is the mobile experience is better, much better than I expected. Cause I played with notion years ago and the mobile was pretty, pretty bad and mm-hmm. it's really good now. And I, like I built a, um, a, a page I call dashboard on the Mac Sparky space, but it links to the Mac power users, automators focused and, and other stuff I work on. And I can go to one page. It looks gorgeous on my iPhone. It's super responsive and it gets me to any project I want. And because, you know, you can set up these, these databases to be contingent on different flags and statuses you set up in the database. I can always see what's active, what needs to be done and who's working on what with one page. And it's just, it's very nice. Cause my, every solution I've tried for working with other people in the past has not had that, that kind of, um, that calming effect. <laughs> Cause I always felt like, well, what am I missing here? What is somewhere that I, is not in front of me? And now it's just all in one place. It's uh, it's nice. And uh, if you're, if you've been hesitant to use Notion in the past and you're doing collaboration, particularly, I think you should look into it. We're both very happy with it. I'll speak for Steven. He thinks we should use it forever now. I'm in. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com slash MPU and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain using the code MPU. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. With Squarespace, you can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything, your products, services, and even the content you create. Squarespace has got everything you need all in one place. It all starts with Squarespace's next-generation website design system called the Fluid Engine. It's a best-in-class website template and customization engine for every design detail is within your grasp. Just drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile, it doesn't matter. You can make a beautiful website 
with the Fluid Engine that is uniquely you. You don't have to hire a bunch of developers, just start clicking and moving. And if you've got a business, you may want to do an email campaign. Squarespace does that too. Encourage your visitors to sign up as email subscribers and start them on the journey to becoming loyal customers. You start with an email template and customize it by applying your brand ingredients like site colors and logo. Plus, the built-in analytics measure the impact of every send. And speaking of analytics, Squarespace has got that too. You can learn where your site visits and sales are coming from and analyze which channels are most effective. You can improve your website and build a marketing strategy based on your top keywords or most popular products and content. Squarespace is so easy to use and recommend. I've built a lot of sites myself over the years on it. We've got several uh, related to the family based on Squarespace right now. And I am constantly recommending Squarespace to friends and family and associates when they ask me about building a new website. They know that I'm kind of nerdy. They're like, where do I go to make a website? It's just a no-brainer for me. Use Squarespace. And it's so easy to check out Squarespace. You get a free trial if you go to squarespace.com MPU. And when you're ready to launch or your friends are ready to launch, tell them to go to squarespace.com MPU and use the code MPU at checkout to save 10% off their first purchase of a website or domain. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash MPU with the offer code MPU when you decide to sign up to get that 10% off your first purchase and show your support for the Mac Power users. And thank you, Squarespace, for all of your support of the Mac Power users and Relay FM. So I want to talk a little bit about some software updates uh, to some apps that we use or talk about. And uh, the first one is Keyboard Maestro 11. And I have installed it, but I haven't really jumped into a lot of the new features. But I know y'all talked about it on Automators 141. Could you give us the uh, the high level of this? Yeah, I mean, we did a whole episode on it. So if you if you really want to go deep, I'd recommend checking that episode out. But uh, Peter uh, Keyboard Maestro is a basically is a single developer, and he he follows kind of the the historical app development model where he people ask him for extra features, and he builds them up and builds them up, and eventually releases an update and charges you a little money for it. And uh, it seems to work really well for Keyboard Maestro. And the thing about Keyboard Maestro. Uh, I'm definitely biased. You know, I made a whole field guide on the product because I love it so much. But it, it's been around a long time. And with these releases, he's just refining it so much with each new major update. And this is no different. The, one of the things he did is he made a, what they call a new macro wizard. So like, if you want to make a new macro and you're not sure where to start, you just run it. And it says, well, what do you want as your trigger? What do you want it to do? And you start, you know, filling out a few things. And before you know it, you've got your own, your own macro. Um, but the, that's just the, the entry level of it. I mean, uh, he totally redid the security preference pane. Uh, you've got a better ability to sync macros. He's got a, um, a command line tool. <laughs> so you can run keyboard maestros from uh, macros from the command line. Because you know what? Somebody must have asked him to do that. So he went ahead and added it to it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, new action triggers. Uh, Apple's got a uh, great text recognition. Now we've talked about it since WWDC. They've got an engine that developers can tap into. Uh, he's, he's plugged that into keyboard Maestro, So you can get the full power of Apple's 
text recognition engine built into your keyboard maestro macros. Um, um, uh, it's got the, and, and you build little apps in it if you want with dialog boxes. He's got better uh, tools for that. Um, it, it goes on and on. I mean, if you look yeah. at, we'll, we'll link in the what's new page. And there's, well, I don't know, maybe 100 or 200 different updates that he's put in. Uh, one of the things I like is uh, the calendar event and contact creation. I, I've said publicly, I think that uh, Shortcuts does better job of that than Keyboard Maestro. Uh, just because, you know, it's Apple. And of course they made a thing to make a new calendar event as part of shortcuts. Well, now they've got that stuff in keyboard maestro. So you can really pick your platform when you're building automation like this. Um, the, the find image and click mouse with found image stuff is amazing. Like if you want to make an automation uh, that finds an image on the screen and then clicks it for you, then that's better now. Like I, I, the, one of the examples I've used of this in the past is Grammarly. When I go to their website to make a new document, if you have to click a button that shows up dynamically on the screen, it's not in the same place every time. Mm-hmm. So I just have Keyboard Master look for that button and click it, and yeah. it, it works. And that's like the great shortcut of Keyboard Maestro because yeah, so much, so much of the Mac is scriptable, or you can automate it. But you do hit those things is like there's no way to tell it to click this button and keyboards was like i got you i can find it i i love that feature i have a friend let's just say i have a friend who has a job where they monitor his computer fun and when he gets to the end of the day and he's finished his work even though he's done with his work he has to sit there and move the mouse around so they know that he's been there the full eight hours uh this is not somebody Awful. who's goofing off. This is somebody who's being punished for finishing his work early. And I told him, he has a Mac. He does his work on a Mac. I said, come over to my house. I'm going to help you. <laughs> and we're gonna, I'm going to set up a keyboard maestro script for him to move his mouse around for him. So when he gets done with his work, he can push a button. I said, do they, do they monitor what software you install? He says, no, it's, it's my computer. I'm like, huh, let me, let me help you out with that. It's, uh, <laughs> just to interject, that's not his computer. Like if they, if they know when you're working yeah, on it or not. Yeah, that's true. You're right. It ain't you're your right. computer, man. <laughs> it's not your computer anymore. That's true. That is true, man. I hope I don't get Ugh. him fired, but I, uh, I feel like, I think I can help him out. Uh, yeah, so tons of new updates with Keyboard Maestro with Peter. If Peter's involved, you're going to get your money's worth with each update. Yes. and. Uh, a quick update. I've, I've got a bunch of email on this already. Um, Keyboard Maestro Field Guide came out with version 10. Actually, it came out with version 9. And then uh, they immediately released 10 and now 11. So I'm making a series of free update videos for the Field Guide. So if you have the Keyboard Maestro Field Guide, you're going to get an email from me at some point saying it's there. You know, hooray, go get it. And I'm going to make a series of videos showing off the new features I'm not going to do that until after the new year because I'm in the middle of another project right now that I need to finish. But shortly, I will have a free update to the Keyboard Master Field Guide. No need to email me. I got I got you. It's coming. Coming. You're always good about that, though. I mean, you know. I try to. You, you, let, you let people know what's going on. Yeah, I try to. I, I haven't been as good on the updates since I quit being a lawyer as I'd like to. We did a construction project, blah, blah, blah. Things happened. But now I'm getting to a point where I can really 
put the pedal down on a bunch of updates yeah. after the new year. So I'm looking forward to that. I can't believe it's been two years. It'll be two years on January 1st. I know. It's like you just Man, did I am it. so happy. I, I don't even know what to say. I'm so happy. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It, this all started for me with Mac Power Users. And uh, yeah. And I, I really, really appreciate it. Yes. Uh, I will echo that. Uh, it's been It's been amazing to see you spend the last two years build your content business the way you want to. It's super yeah. exciting. I want to talk about Retro Batch 2 uh, from Gus Mueller over at uh, shapeof.com is his blog and his site, but uh, Gus makes Acorn, which is this really cool um, photo editor for the Mac. The, the software name or the development company name is Flying Meat. Yeah. But Retro Batch 2 is a batch image processor so if you have a lot of images you need to treat the same way a retro batch is like the best way to do it and has this really cool ui similar to what's an audio hijack and some other tools where you kind of like put in blocks and the blocks are like the the actual flow for for the jobs that will happen and i don't know when retro batch came out it was several years ago and when you just have a big stack of images from like a photo shoot or from a holiday or something, and maybe you're going to keep the originals in your photos library, but some others you're going to like send out to people or you need to like size them all the same way, or you want to treat them all the same way. Uh, retro batch is like the best way to do it. And version two uh, is out. There's regular and there's pro. Um, and there, you can go on the website and see some of the differences. It's like color profiles, JavaScript scripting with RetroBatch Pro. Uh, you can also get in the App Store, although some of the features are missing because of sandboxing. But one of the the things that that Gus has added is super resolution ML scaling. As this is something that Pixelmator Pro has had for quite a while. But you can take an image and you can go in there and it'll use machine learning to make it larger. This is great if you have like an old photograph you want to use as your wallpaper on your studio display. And it's like, oh, I can see the pixels. It's so chunky. Um, Or if you just have an image that you need bigger to print it or something like that. It's not perfect, right? It's adding information that's not there, like, you know, fine print, fine print, fine print. But it's pretty cool. Uh, And this is now built into RetroBatch. So you can have that along the chain of things that are happening to your photos. And there's also much better support for the iCloud photo library system. Uh, Apple over the last couple of years has changed some of the ways that developers can interact with those photos. And now RetroBatch 2 is fully on like the new APIs, the new way Apple wants us to do that, wants developers to do this. Um, but it means it's way more powerful. So you can you can like export or even download full resolution images from iCloud if you'd say you just have the thumbnail on your system. It can go out to iCloud, download the full resolution one, and then have commands on that. And then you can export them to Finder. You can save them back to Photos. Lots of really cool things. Um, I will admit this is an app that a lot of people don't need. But if you work with a lot of photos or images, it is a lifesaver and well worth, I think it's like 20 bucks. It's 40 bucks for the pro version. Uh, Super, super worth it. Yeah, I, I don't think you can you'll regret any purchase from Flying Meat. Like no. Gus brings a degree of polish to his software and, and it's always priced very 
is value pricing. Like what you yes. get for what you pay for flying meat software, it, it really exceeds the value. Yeah. Agreed. Totally agree. And, and Gus is one of those people. He's been writing Mac software forever. And like he makes good Mac apps. Yeah. Uh, bartender five. That's another big update we've had Uh bartender. Hard to believe it's version five. I remember when it was a brand new app, but it's the app that you want, you get to update your menu bar. And over the years, Apple has, you know, played with the menu bar. They stuck a big, uh, uh, notch in there on the laptops, <laughs> you know, and, and, and bartender continues to evolve and find ways to be unique. To me, this is the biggest update it's ever had. I, I just feel like, like a lot of the, the stress points I had with bartender have been solved with this new update. Um, the, the thing that I like the best is grouping. So I have different things I do. Like I, I use my Mac under fire and you would think with a pro display XDR, I just put everything up there, but no, I have a lot of, <laughs> I have a lot of menu bar apps. Right. And, and so I, and I don't, I just want to see the ones that I use. And so I have what I call the working set, but I also screencast a lot. And when I screencast, everybody doesn't need to see what my currently running timer is and what my next appointment is and all that stuff that I have up there <laughs> in my working group. And so I, um, I, I, it was not easy up until bartender five, but now it's really easy. You just change it to the podcasting group and then it's a very minimal set. Or, you know, if you're doing photo editing, maybe you've got a difference that you can make, you know, custom sets of menu bar apps, depending on the context of what you're doing. And that's really powerful. But he's also added a whole bunch of like UI stuff. Like, you know how the 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 pro display has rounded corners. And the very top of the display itself, though, is a sharp corner. So like the screen has a sharp corner, but the outside of the display has a rounded corner. There's a button in there I can throw. So the screen matches the and it's the same radius as a display. It's just like a little thing but it makes me happy. Right. And then, mm -hmm. and then there's some really wacky ones where you can have it separate the app menu bar and the regular, you know, the, the utility menu bar. And in the middle, there's nothing. I mean, he's gone, yeah. he's gone. Hog that wild. Notch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. You know, I, I turned that on and it felt like, I don't know. I felt like I was in like a, an old windows computer. So it, it just felt wrong. I immediately turned it back on. Oh yeah. Or turned same, it off. Yeah. Same. But the, uh, it's just all kinds of little, like, UI stuff you can do with it and go nuts, you know, whatever you want to do with it, go for it. But to me, the, the value of the purchase really comes in the multiple sets of menu bar apps and the ability to quickly switch between them. Yep. Totally agree. It's a, it's a great feature. As soon as I saw it, I was like, Oh, I've wanted this forever. Right. You don't think about it until it's here, but it is so smart. And bartender is one of my favorite examples of, uh, a really cool Mac app that has a, a pretty limited scope, right? The scope is fix the menu bar, but there's so many different ways and features that come out of that. It, it just keeps getting better and better. Okay. And and a couple of things to put on, I've had emails from people about this because it does, you know, cause Apple's super sensitive on security and bartender needs to look at your screen to set itself. And particularly they have one setting where the, the bartender bar is not on the same line as the menu bar, but created below it. And yeah. in that case, it needs to look at the screen even more. So there's no conflicts. And so Apple will stick a thing in your menu bar. It says, Hey, bartender's looking at your screen right now. And I've had people write me saying, 
oh, is this app spying on me? I'm like, no, it's just they need, there's a little thing they need to do to make that feature work. And Apple is going to mandate that that get put up on the screen, but you don't need to worry about it. So that's the one thing I'd say to people, because uh, I've just got a bunch of email about it already. And then uh, I made a short, I think it's in the neighborhood of five minutes video for the Max Sparky Labs on Bartender 5. You know, in the labs, a lot of times I say, hey, this thing's out and this is what I like about it. Um, I made a short video. I'm going to share that with the Mac Power Users listen, uh, audience. So we'll put a link in the notes to a, a secret link on YouTube that's going to get you a Max Sparky Labs video. If you're already in the labs, you've probably already seen it. If you're not, you can check it out. Last one uh, that I wanted to mention, and I know you have one more, is Play version 2. So we, we've talked about Play before. It is the app that lets you basically organize and manage uh, video content. So there's a lot of apps for URLs, right? Or articles, right? Like Matter, Instapaper, Good Links, et cetera. But this is like custom built for video that where the metadata and other things are different. Uh, version 2 is out now. This is by a single developer, uh, Marco Sanaka. And I think the headline feature for me, and I have John Voorhees review in the in the show notes, and he, I think he, he writes a lot about this in here, is that Play now allows users to manage YouTube channels from inside the app. So we've spoken about this before, right? You open the YouTube homepage, you see stuff you're subscribed to, but also the algorithm is like, hey, watch a bunch of videos of, you know, old FJ cruisers getting built. And uh, if you're trying to get some work done, that's not ideal. And there's different ways people manage that. There's some other services like, you know, or you can just like what I do, I just go to my subscription box on YouTube. I, I try not to ever visit the homepage. But now with Play, you can tell it, uh, I want to see these channels in this app. And anytime there's a new video, uh, pull into the app. And then I could, you could watch exactly what you want and dismiss the others. But it doesn't even have to just be channels. Uh, you can also set up uh, like some searches in here. So let me, you know, pull in videos that are related to topic X or Y or whatever it is. It's just really well thought out. I think the channels integration is the best thing about it. Bring in YouTube channels and and not seeing uh, other stuff on YouTube, but just super clever, super well-designed. It is very native looking, like using a lot of traditional, you know, Apple's UI. So it looks really clean and modern. And uh, it's uh, it's even got widgets. <laughs> the widgets are kind of funny because you just get like a grid of videos and you can tap a one to play it. The widget is not for me. But yeah. if that's how you want to do it, you can do that too. I think one of the, the real... Um, superpower skills that you want to develop as a power user is the ability to consume um, algorithm-based content without algorithms. Like yeah. watch YouTube videos without letting YouTube, you know, pour it down your throat. Like the devil put donuts down Homer Simpson's mouth. You ever see that episode? <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, Homer goes to hell, and the devil's like, "You like donuts." how would you like this donut? And he just starts pouring donuts in his mouth and Homer's like, I like it. Just keep giving me more, you know, mm -hmm. um, that's what these, these algorithms do. They just keep throwing this stuff at you. If you can get away from that, that's the way you kind of get control of your intentionality. This episode of MPU is brought to you by Tailscale. Human scale teams can build trusted networks by securely connecting devices with Tailscale. With Tailscale, you can connect your home assistant to check on your place while away. You can also stream movies, shows, and music anywhere. 
from your network attached storage box using Plex or Jellyfin. Plus, you can access a Pi hole from anywhere and secure your connection when on Wi-Fi that you don't totally trust. And you can now sign in to Tailscale using your Apple ID. So if you prefer your credentials managed by Apple and iCloud, this option is for you. Just sign into Tailscale with your Apple ID on a Mac or iPhone using Touch ID or Face ID for super fast sign-in. Plus, you can use a passkey to authenticate your Tailscale account, a new feature you may remember seeing at WWDC. Once connected, you can use TailDrop to move files between a MacBook, iPhone, iPad, Linux VMs, Docker containers, Steam Deck, and even Windows. And if you're looking to share your work more widely, Tailscale Funnel makes it easier than ever to share your local development over the internet for collaboration, testing, and experimentation. With Tailscale Funnel, you can receive a webhook from GitHub, share a local service with your coworker, or even host a personal blog or status page on your own computer. Funnel is a secure way to expose your development environment at a stable URL over the internet, complete with auto-provisioned TLS certificates. Use it from the command line or the new VS Code extension. With just a few keystrokes, you can securely expose a local port to the internet right from your IDE. Tailscale has clients for macOS and iOS, as well as Windows, Linux, and Android. Their free plan includes three users and 100 devices. Head to tailscale.com MPU to build your team's trusted network today. The link is in the show notes, but it's tailscale.com MPU. And if you're interested in working at Tailscale, they're currently hiring a macOS engineer. You can check out their careers page for more details. Our thanks to Tailscale for the support of the show. All right, Stephen, let's talk about some stuff we're playing with. All right. I, I want to hear more about the uh, the prompter from Agato. We mentioned this on the gift guide. Pre-orders are now back to March. I think I'm in like the January timeframe for mine. But you've been using it uh, in production now for, for, I think, several weeks. Uh, yeah. Give us an update. How's that, how's that thing going? Yeah. So Elgato, as they do, made a product to kind of solve problems for small and medium-sized creators like us. Uh, but this one, I think, spills over. Uh, for anybody who does a lot of Zoom calls, this is something you may want to take a look at. So it's a teleprompter. And if you're not familiar with teleprompter technology, it involves a screen laying flat and then a piece of reflective glass at 45 degrees. And you put the prompter in front of your camera lens. So then you're looking at the reflected screen that the camera lens can shoot through. And uh, that's how you look like you're looking at the screen. That's how, you know, fancy politicians and CEOs give sincere speeches when they're reading it, you know, from the prompter. Uh, So I, um, I have, looked at these before. I've never bought one because I just never thought they were worth the trouble and they seem complicated. You had to get special software. One of the things that has to happen is that you have to inverse the screen because it's being reflected off a piece of glass, you know, and if you just stick like an iPad up there, some special software will do it, but it doesn't work with all apps. And it just seemed like it was more trouble than it was worth. Um, So then Elgato says, no, we have a thing for you. We built the screen in for you. And it's priced very competitively. It's $280, but that includes the screen. And they've got a bunch of different mounting systems. So you can mount the prompter itself on a a mounting pole and then put the camera on the prompter. You can hang the prompter off the end of your lens. It's got adapters for that. 
if you've got a webcam, if you've got a, you know, a full frame lens camera, they've got, you know, they've got solutions for most of the ways you want to shoot video uh, near your computer. And this thing just pops on and the software handles it all like Elgato stuff. I, you know, I'm really in the bag for Elgato because they just seem to always knock it out of the park when they make something. And this is no different. One of the things I like about it is it runs off a single cable. You connect it to your Mac and it gets power and data through one USB-C cable, which is really cool. If you've got other Elgato bits in your life, like a Stream Deck, you can control the prompter with the Stream Deck very easily. And it does what it says on the tin. You know, you put uh, text on there. You can read it and read the text. just like you're looking straight into the camera lens when you're reading the text. Um, but they also have the ability to run it, it. It shows up in your Mac as a second display. So you can put any app in front of your camera lens. And uh, in the labs, I do a lot of meetups. You know, we have these things where we meet up once a month and just talk about what's going on for the level three, for the top tier people. I do deep dives where we go into a topic in depth. And so I'm on Zoom constantly. And I love doing these meetings where I'm looking at the people talking to me and I'm actually looking at the lens at the same time. And I'm sure everybody listening has had that experience of talking to someone on Zoom. And they're, it looks like they're looking off to the side. And what they're actually yeah. looking at is they're, they're looking at you on the screen, but your lens just isn't you know, at that location. Mm-hmm. So they, while they're paying attention to you, it looks like they're not paying attention to you. And this solves that problem. Uh, so I think it's a great solution for anybody that does a lot of Zoom stuff. Because... You just put it on there, you set the Zoom window in front of it, and then you are very fancy when you do Zoom calls. Yeah, I'm super excited to get mine uh, for Zoom calls, even just for for recording some stuff. Uh, I think I said it on the gift guide, but like, dang, Agata knows what they're doing. Yeah. Well, it's funny because you sent me the link to it when I woke up one day. You're like, hey, this looks interesting. And I'm like, oh, Elgato made it. It's probably great. I'll just order it, you know? (laughs) know, And and I I always feel, because they're good about returns too. So I'm like, well, I can return it if I I hate it. And, but it's great. I have, I have one criticism though. Um, You know, it's shooting through the glass. And if I put something very bright on it, and the, the place I've seen this is if I do a Zoom call, and I open up the participants window, which is always has a white background, even if the thing is dark, that reflects a little bit through to the lens. So it almost looks a little milky. The image of you looks a little milky because the light Mm. on the glass is interfering with what the lens sees beyond the glass. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I don't know if this is common with teleprompters. I've not, you know, I just, this is my first real teleprompter, but I think because everything is, is um, integrated that it's probably more common on this device. The solution with me in zoom calls is I, is I detach the, the, um, the participants window and I put that on my main screen and that keeps the screen in front of the lens dark and then it's fine again. Um, there's also, you know, you can get apps that like draw a dark shade over the window to like make it darker. Uh, there, there's a couple things you can do about it. You have to kind of work around it, but if you're going to put like a white background screen up on the teleprompter, it's going to affect the image quality. Mm-hmm. So that that's the thing I don't love. And I was kind of, I, I watched the reviews and I didn't see really anybody talking about that, but the, um, but that it's a thing for sure. I've like had people confirm it with me on the other side of the call, uh, but it, it's not that big of a deal to get around either if you're aware of it. And it kind of makes sense if you're 
putting a bright white light against a piece of glass and then shooting sure. a lens through it, you're yeah. going to probably Physics. have a little bleed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But overall, I mean, I think it's a great price because a lot of these teleprompters are in the $200 range without a screen. Yeah. And this one has the screen involved in, and the software makes it really a no brainer. And the, the way the software works is you can say, make this a teleprompter mode and you can throw a script at it. One of the tricks to that is to make the text narrow so your eyes don't track left and right in front of the lens. Yes. It That's does that tip. for you. You know, um, you can put it on, if you've got a Stream Deck Plus, you can put the speed on a dial so you can spin the dial on the plus and have it feed the text uh, in oh, response to turning man. the dial. You like that? Oh, man. That's really, that is really cool. Do you need to order a Stream Deck Plus now, no, Stephen? Maybe get out. Get, get out. <laughs> yeah and it just you know elgato does a a really good job of this stuff and uh i'm a fan of that company as of Mm -hmm. late they it just seems to me the last several years i've bought several things from them and every piece of it has been functional and i think affordably priced for what it is yeah and and they work over the long haul i've got a teleprompter rig that i bought years ago it goes on a tripod. It, you know, it's got a little hood for you to stick your lens through and you got to have an iPad mini <laughs> to even make yeah. it work. And then you're in the land of iPad OS apps that do this. And some of them work with like a Bluetooth trackpad. Others like do voice recognition and none of that's great. Uh, I never had that really work for me the way that I wanted it to. So I, I am excited to, uh, to get this in. Well, I mean, if you watch most of the video stuff I produce, it is not scripted. It's it's heavily outlined because I feel like my um my contemporaneous voice is better than my script reading voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I largely outline stuff and just read. You know, I, I check the outline as I record. So I don't think I'm going to use it a lot as a traditional teleprompter. But to me, the value of this really is in um having i put the outline into the teleprompter as i look at the camera or the the whole thing with zoom calls and being able to make eye contact with the people who are paying me you know to be in the labs i want that to be the best possible experience for them and i feel like this was a no-brainer for me you got anything i have been uh i got all my calendars shipped out yeah so i just i just got that wrapped up about a week and a half ago and that has been all encompassing, but I'll tell you what I've been playing with is a clean office. So <laughs> I spent about half a day breaking down the tables I'd set up, you know, putting packaging material away, getting rid of, you know, putting stuff up. I don't need out anymore. And there's still some, some stragglers. I'm still going to have a, a, every few days I got something I need to mail out, but doing one at a time is way easier than doing a thousand. And for me, like, uh, that has been so all-encompassing. I haven't had time to experiment with things the way I normally want to. But just having, like, opening the door to this office and it just being clean. Like, I still have one box of, like, you know, I got a handful of calendars left. I got some shipping material left. But it's all, like, nice and neat in the corner, right? I can just go over there and get it what I, what I need it. There's not a big mountain of things to go out to the mail every day. And it's really, like, it's made me really uh, appreciate having a clean workspace because... When you're shipping a thousand of things, it's just as messy, right? It's just like there's a lot of stuff. And uh, so, you know, I put it all away. I ran the shop vac. I did some sweeping. So not 
nothing technical to report this month, but having a clean workspace is top notch. I, I got another one. Okay. All right. This is entirely the fault of Rosemary Orchard. Uh, so I'm warning you, uh, th- th- this is a super battery from Anchor. Uh, I don't know if you've seen these things. It's called the Anchor what? Prime Power Bank. What is and, this? <laughs> yeah, I know. Rose told me about it. I'm like, that's crazy. But then Black Friday came and they had like, it was like 50 or $60 off. And I'm like, I can't help myself. Uh, so after we're recording this after all the Black Friday madness. It's $185. I paid less than that. But the... Uh, um, but it is a base station and like a, 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 a chunky 200 watt, 20 milliamp hour anchor battery. And it charges at a hundred Watts. So this thing refills in like an hour, but it has a ton of power in it. And it has a base station with kind of like the connectors like on the old iPads, you know, where you connected the case to it. And so yeah. you just set it on top of the base, it recharges, and you take it out, and you can run a full Mac laptop or anything on this thing. And it's not a light battery. No, it looks like it looks small. Like the picture of someone holding it in their hand is shockingly small to me. Yeah, it but is. I bet it's dense. I bet it's dense. It is dense, but it, it is small for 20,000 milliamp hours. Yeah. And it also has, uh, the, the charging base has USB plugs on it so you can charge other stuff via, via cable as well. I, I, you know, like Anchor, they just make good stuff. And this is like a next level charger for them. Uh, I still don't know why I bought it. I, I think it was stupid uh, because I don't go out of the house hardly ever. But when I do and I bring this thing, man, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. yeah i guess if the power gets shut off i could you know run the toaster on it or something this thing yeah. is very powerful and um then it just sits i'm trying to understand it. then it just sits back on the base yeah the base itself is also a battery no the base is a charger okay it's a little so the the base is um like a hockey oh, puck I size see. square i see and um and it it got power you plug it into the wall but it has ports on it so you can run additional cables if you want to charge things off it that way but the real benefit is i've got the base on on a table here in the studio i can set the thing on there it charges very quickly i pull it off as i'm heading out the door i've got tons of battery like when we do like family trips and stuff like that i i can bring this thing with me and charge everybody as much as we need and then when I get home, I just stick it back on the base and it refills itself. And then I can stick it in a drawer till I leave again. I'm going to keep it next to my go bag. And this is like my definitive battery. But the charging mechanism is very clever. You don't have to, you know, fiddle with USB-C. You just set it on the base yeah. and it charges very quickly. I, I was shocked because when I got it, it's a 200, it's a 20,000 milliamp, 200 watt battery. When I got it out of the box, it had like a 15% charge on it. So I mm-hmm. put it on the base thinking it was going to be like all night or something. And it was, yeah. and it has got a little display on it too, by the way. Um, Which is cool. The display yeah. says, hey, I'll be fully charged in 48 minutes. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> How is this happening? Well, it's charging at 100 watts. So of course it's mm-hmm. going to charge fast. And the base has some USB ports on it. So the yes. base is always there. Then you could like have a little cable hanging off the back of the base too. Exactly. And so that's what I did. 
and that's kind of a charging station now. So I can charge my AirPods and, you know, my, um, you know, we have security cameras that occasionally need charging. So all that's going to happen right off that base. And yeah. also when I need to refill the big battery, I'm going to do it. I, I didn't own a 20,000 milliamp battery. All my batteries are pretty small. I gave my big one to, um, to a family friend that, that was traveling overseas and really needed a big battery. So I haven't had one for a while, but now I've got one. And this one is the, you know, this is quite a battery. Yeah. But it, it's expensive. Like it makes it 185. I don't remember what I paid for it, but they had a, a nice sale at Black Friday. Um, so I maybe put it in camel, 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 if you're interested. My anchor stuff goes on sale often. So I'm sure oh, you yeah. can beat that price. Putting in a camel, camel, camel right now, actually. And, and it looks like they've got other, like you could buy, now I have the base station plus the battery. I could buy one of these batteries alone for 130 bucks without sale. So if I, if I needed two of them, like if I was really like going to double fist batteries, that that's, I could get another one and use the same charger. They also have a 12,000 milliamp one for $90. So it's just, um, it's kind of a new battery system from Anchor, really. Yeah. Does uh, does Disney have any sort of limitation on what kind of batteries you can bring in or what size? No, no. I mean, they run the steamship on a um, on a steam engine. And if that thing blew up, it'd take half a Disneyland. They shouldn't complain <laughs> about batteries. <laughs> like, sir, this is too many milliamps. Uh, yeah. This, this, is, this cool. is too powerful for Mickey. That's right. You, what they you get power. Do, though, is they, they sell like preloaded batteries there. It's like a vendor. Oh. I don't, you know, where, yeah. it, where you pay a, an extreme amount of money for a very small charge. You know? mm-hmm. And then like at one point, Daisy and I were taking pictures of people. We called them the wall warts of Disneyland. Like we would just go wherever there's like an exposed plug at Disneyland. There's somebody sitting on the floor next to it. Uh, yeah. waiting for their phone to charge. And yep. um, and it's just so sad to me. You spend like $100 to be in there and you, you're like, my favorites are the guys in the bathroom, you know, stinky men's room. It doesn't matter where you go. Men are slobs. Bathrooms are always dirty. And they're, they're like sitting on the sink with their phone plugged in. I was thinking, man, I hope you're enjoying your ticket today. <laughs> yeah. He's <laughs> like, hey, let me, t- let me tell you about this battery tower yeah. that a friend of mine told me about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let me just introduce you to the Anchor Prime Power Bank. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Well, another feedback show in the can, Stephen. Our second show in the Notion database. Looking good. I think we're okay. I think we're good. Yeah. All right. We are the Mac Powers. You can find us at relay.fm slash MPU. You can find the forums at talk.macpowerusers.com. We'd love to see you there. Thank you to our sponsors, 1Password, Masterclass, Squarespace, and Tailscale. Uh, For those of you that are the more power users gang, we've got more to talk about. I have an email crisis. We're going to work it out. Otherwise, we'll see you next time. Have a great week.